0: and welcome to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works on what is a very cold Sunday. And with my partner in crime who I'm recording with, it's actually already Monday. Uh, This is Tom Adams here. I am happy today in the first time in what feels like it's been a couple months. I am joined today by the one, the only, I Need No Name. I Need No Name. How are you doing halfway across the world right now? I know it's already in the future for you.
1: Yeah, I'm doing mostly okay. I have like glasses in about... An hour or something, and I am very sleepy. I just woke up, but I'm doing okay, and I'm also suffering extremely badly from bind withdrawal. So take that how you will.
0: I think we all are, and I do have to ask this. So it's today was like a low of four, or five degrees Fahrenheit. What is the weather like where you are? Because I'm sitting here, I've got my Liverpool jumper covering up. I will reveal I am wearing a U.S. men's national team pulisic jersey, trying to avoid our very own Jack Loush Lausch, uh, Loushway after the Canadian national team gave us a spanking in Hamilton, Canada. And um, yeah, I just don't really want to talk about it because in, I don't know if you've ever watched a a CONCACAF world cup qualifier, but let's just say it's very, very, very far off from watching a Bayern Munich game.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I haven't (laughs) watched CONCACAF, but like I sometimes watch India play and that's very far off, but uh, I digress. The thing is that it is cold here, but it's not that cold. It's like 16 degrees Celsius, according to my computer, which is fine like um it's not like i need to wrap up or anything but the thing is that in the united states you guys have homes designed to withstand the cold and in india are. Our- Houses are like more designed to be as cool as possible. So yes. in winter, <laughs> even if it doesn't get that cold, it can get very chilly inside our homes if we're not careful. But I'm doing fine as far as the weather is concerned. And I'm doing even more fine because I don't have to go to college today, at least. I, I'm just expecting a Google Meet link. my professor who will then proceed to bore me for an hour talking about (laughs) things that i do not understand and never will so tom let's why don't we talk about our topics because there are some interesting stuff that we need to talk about so which one do you want to start with i think
0: well i was going to try and be coy and sneak in a very clever segue and say that there was a cold front that came through bayern munich and that cold front was uh, a lack of transfer activity, but more importantly, uh, an outbound player, not for this winter, but for this summer that a lot of us are not very happy with. So I think we should start off with just addressing the elephant in the room. And no, that's not a weight joke, but I'm sure by now, we, you know if you're a Bayern fan, if you're a Dimansha fan, that Niklas Zula has confirmed, or at least Bayern Munich has confirmed, that he will be leaving the club this summer. Uh, contract negotiations, depending on who you ask, whether it's himself, his representatives, or the front office. Uh, just never really progressed beyond a certain point. And, you know, it became clear that this was increasingly not likely uh, or increasingly wasn't looking like he was going to have a contract extension signed. And now we we know that news in, in and we're going to have to uh, wind up looking for a replacement. There's a lot of names touted, but just first reactions on this. I mean, how do you feel about Niklas Sula not being a Bayern player next season?
1: So I'm really devastated by this because I always wanted him to stay. I think that not only is Sula are- our maybe our best center back like I think Hernandez is our best defender but Sula's our best center back because not only is he good at defending he's also good at going forward and controlling the tempo and that's something that we really don't have from anyone else on the defensive back line and the other thing is that Sula um he's like a mainstay on the German national team and him leaving it's kind of like it's Against Bayern stated ethos to have as many Germans on the team as possible. And I don't actually understand why the bosses are really not trying a little bit harder to keep him. Like, I mean, what's done is done at this point. It's a bit too late to talk about this. But I said at least a year ago now that we should be getting the contract out and try to get Zul to sign it. And that was... What? That was back when Flick was in charge and Sue wasn't getting as many minutes. But maybe if we had shown our appreciation for him back then, rather than just sitting around and maybe saying, yeah, maybe we'll give you a contract. Maybe we won't. We still need to prove yourself to us. Maybe if we hadn't done that, maybe Sue would still be here and he would have a new contract today. And this is just another example of how our current management, they keep letting these guys slip away first it was Thiago he ran down his contract he was just in his last year and it was just on the verge of signing a new one and then he went to Liverpool as you know Tom and, yes,
0: yes.
1: <laughs> and then there's David Alaba we started his contract extension talks very late um, somewhere after the Chelsea game and then by that point he was already in his final 18 months then it took the next better part of a six months to even get him to say anything about it. And by that point, he was in his final year and he was more than content to just wait it out and then go to Real Madrid. And now we have Seul doing the exact same thing. I remember that there used to be like this policy ever since Tony Cross left that we would always start contract extension talks at least two years before the contract expires and have it done within 18 months. And if it's not done, then you sell the player. I don't know what happened to that policy and I just don't know what the bosses are doing because this is costing us a lot of money, all these free transfers.
0: Now, I want to ask you a question on on that just to get your gut feeling. So to kind of paint this full picture, I personally, I get what Oliver Kahn is saying. You know, He's recently come out and talked about his approach to all of the contracts, like we had a bevy of Bayern players and not just players, but key players who had upcoming expiring contracts, either going into this season or they still do have expiring contracts. Obviously, we've renewed Joshua Kimmich, Leon Goretzka, Kingsley Coman, Manuel Neuer, Thomas Buller, and potentially Lewandowski are expected to follow suit, as well as Serge Gnabry. But, but in, I posed this question to you. So Khan talked about how obviously he stepped in as CEO for Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, in a very difficult spot, it was kind of right coinciding with the same uh, start point of the coronavirus pandemic ending matches for at least two months. Uh, there's obviously a lot of financial hardships that are posed from that, even for a club like FC Bayern München, You know, they're not impervious to experiencing the setbacks. So he kind of talked about how difficult it was. You know, he had to strike a balance. Obviously, there's less money. There's less of a uh, treasure chest, so to speak, to go after. You can't just give every player X amount of dollars based on what they think they're worth and you know what they might use as leverage to explore other options if they don't feel they're getting the right offer. But we've also seen, you know, this is a guy, uh, Hansi Flick, last season, or not last season, excuse me, yeah, I believe even the season before when he had come back. Uh, from an international break. Actually, now I'm getting my wires crossed. So obviously he had the cruciate ligament injury in the treble winning season prior to the Champions League tournament taking place in Portugal, but came back for that, played mostly as a sub, played very, very well in the Champions League final, as I'm sure you would agree. Yeah, Um, And then it was, yeah, I believe it was last season when Hansi Flick gave him some stick for coming uh, a little bit out of shape and a little bit heavy coming back from an international break. And he got a decent amount of flack for that. And I feel that he uh, felt he was unjustly criticized for that. And Karl-Heinz Rummenigge earlier this season, if you remember, after the Eintracht Frankfurt loss uh, 2-1 to at the Allianz Arena, he got a fair bit of criticism uh, from Rummenigge that he thought was unjust as well because, you know, he had some poor defending, I believe it was against Kostic or Amin Yunus for one of the goals. You know, it seems like it's already been quite some time with the way Bayern's playing now since we had that loss. But, in, do you think it was really, I mean, we heard the number of 10 million euros per year was the contract that was offered, which is pretty decent, especially for a defender after, you know, all of the financial losses uh, from coronavirus, you know, some of our midfielders don't even earn that much more. Do you think it was more of just that and, and simply dollars and cents and, you know, he felt he was worth more? Or do you think there was more of just what I had spoken of on the other side? Do you think that, you know, the, the little, bits, little bits of prodding and, and poking at him, whether it was Hansi Flick. Um, I don't think Julian Nagelsmann has done, done this as much. I actually think it's come out that, you know, he was actually pleased with the fact that Nagelsmann uh, was vying for him, but was displeased with the fact that he was really the only one vying for him. And he didn't necessarily get that sense of urgency from Hassan Salihamidic uh, and everyone else on the front office. So do you think it was more of that? Or is this simple dollars and cents and he wanted to move on? Because so, in my mind, it has to be a little bit of the two.
1: So there is a third factor that you did not mention. And I remember, <laughs> I remember we talked about this back when it leaked. The leaks that Nicolas Sula, uh, oh yeah, the the contract, uh, the the, WhatsApp, contract, messages. the, the yeah. WhatsApp messages with his agent, where that was all the way back when Kovac was in charge. We had just beaten Tottenham seven two, and he said, "I don't care." Uh, get me anywhere in the Premier League I don't care Tottenham Chelsea Arsenal whoever doesn't matter I we just want to go and I think that's one of the things that you look at and you think maybe Sewell has been looking to leave Bayern Munich for quite some time now and he was just waiting for us to give him a reason to stay and until Nagelsmann came in he did not have that reason and Once Nagelsmann came in, it was just too late. He was already in his last year and he stands to make way more money just moving on. So I think that's just one of the big factors that we keep on not talking about. Because there's also the fact that the bosses, you think about them, they see these guys far more closely than we do. So they probably knew about Sewell's feelings much better than what we get as like outsiders looking at. So they probably also knew that Sue maybe wasn't as committed to staying to staying at Bayern as some of the other players that we've extended recently. So with that in mind, maybe that's the reason why they just dragged their feet on this. And obviously the two ACLs and Sue's, his own weight problems. I have to tell you that having weight problems for a guy with no knees, that is... That is not a good good combination. And it obviously spells very bad things for Sewell's, the future of Sewell's career. But the thing is that short term, he is an amazing center back. And he seems to have gotten a handle on his issues with the weight and his issues with the coach. Because I think that neither Nico Kobash nor Hansi Flick liked Sewell all that much. But Nagelsmann, too. Nagelsmann, Sewell seems to be his like his go-to guy. He likes him a lot. And they work together at Offenheim. I mean, Sewell, when he got his transfer to Bayern, he was playing really well under Nagelsmann at Offenheim. So that connection... And, and I, I, yeah. I
0: think we can't forget, too, that he even deputized quite well at right-back. Further. Yeah, that's, you know, that's when one of your favorite players was not that... available, I won't bring up his name so you don't have a little right. conniption, <laughs> Man. but you know who I'm talking about. Yeah.
1: So the thing is that he's also such a good, he's probably the best right back on the squad right now. If we don't include like right back gimmick, who I think would at least, even if he moved gimmick straight back to right back today. Which we technically did do for the Gladbach game, he would not perform yeah, yeah, that funny. well yep. because Kimmich like needs an adjustment period. Like you compare how he played against Gladbach to how he played against uh, who was it? Berlin. to
0: Berlin. Yeah, yeah,
1: Hertha Berlin. It was just night and day, and one was a right back and the other was a defensive midfield. So the thing is that um, with Sula. I don't think he wanted to stay and that reluctance rubbed off onto the buying board who decided maybe we shouldn't be this committed to a guy who doesn't seem committed to us. And from there, it just compounded. So one side thinks they're not being appreciated, the other side thinks they're not committed and then there's the ACL and the pandemic and everything just wraps all together and it results in this just unfortunate situation. But I should mention that um, unlike with Alaba. Sula, his contract extension offer has not been rescinded. Like we gave Alaba a deadline. You sign this with six months to go or we look elsewhere and the contract offer is removed. For Sula, that has not happened. He has less than six months left on his contract, but the contract offer is still on the table. So I think that if Sula can't find a suitable contract or at least a suitable, let's say a suitably enticing offer somewhere abroad, He still has an avenue to pick up that contract that is before him at Bayern Munich and just sign it and say, "Okay, I'm just staying." Okay, because I won't point out that we only have media reports that Sul is leaving. Whereas in Alaba's case, by this point, we actually knew publicly that Alaba was going to Real Madrid. So I don't think that the Sul saga has had its final twist yet. There will be more coming. And until then, I can just hope that maybe new Nagelsmann can work his charm and try and convince Sewell to stay. And hopefully Sewell doesn't get too many big offers from other clubs. Like like he he would probably be on the list of pretty much every big club in the world right now. But the question is how much will they offer him?
0: Yeah. Now is it I thought I there was some official capacity from the club or something that confirmed he was leaving, but I could be wrong. But there was definitely reports, you know, that he's in very, very advanced discussions with an unnamed club. There's a lot of uh, people who have been touting who that club is, but that's all just speculation at this point. But um, that point could be right. You know, th- this isn't like technically the nail in the coffin, so to speak, for h- for his Bayern career. A lot of things still could happen. Obviously, it's not a-, a winter transfer deadline thing. It's the summer. The contract goes until June, so a lot of things can happen. But. Assuming that everything is as what's being reported and we're losing a guy like that he has high market value. It would be unfortunate to lose him on a free transfer for all of the reasons that we just pretty much discussed for like the past 25 minutes. But with that said, that's a gap. Whether he's a starter in Nagelsmann's eyes at center back or right back or not, that's a huge piece. That's a very big cog in a well-oiled Bayern Munich machine when we are playing our best. We need to fill that. We've heard names been mentioned particularly Chelsea's Andreas Christensen, who a lot of former Bayern players seem to be coming out of the woodwork and saying that he would be their pick. Antonio Rudiger as well. We had even, there had been reports suggesting we were interested in mentioning Gladbach's Dennis Zakaria, but that turned out that we were never really actually seriously pursuing him. And it looks like he's he'll now be going to Juventus. But but in if you had to kind of uh, stack your chips right now and uh, place a bet, so to speak, who do you think would be the replacement? Are you... Are you okay? Or Do you like the Christensen connection? I know he seems to be more of a frontrunner than Rudiger. And obviously, uh, Zakaria was in the mix for a while, but now it's come out that he was never really a serious candidate. But uh, what yeah. are your thoughts on those three guys?
1: Yeah, so the thing is that I don't like any of the candidates that we have been linked to, except Schlotterbeck is good. Schlotterbeck, I don't mind, but he will also be expensive. Like, I am hearing around 25 million euros or something, and that's Is lot that Nico
0: money. or Kevin? Which one are we talking about? There's two. The one on Freiburg, right? Yeah, the Freiburg one. I'm pretty sure that one's Nico. I, I want to say that because he it was one of the situations where I had him in fantasy the, the first week of the Rook Run. I, I, like, I'm
1: I'm very confused. I, I
0: was joking about the fact that uh, you know, for a lot of the teams uh in the Bundesliga there's just the news, uh you really have to do some digging. And he was just Unexplicably or inexplicably. And that's, for, yeah, for that's what Nico. I,
1: I just checked.
0: Yeah, for what I had seen, like apparently he had COVID or quarantine or something. And there was just no news I could find out there. So that's it's vividly in my memory because he had been killing it in fantasy for the last couple of weeks of the Hinrunda. Yeah, I was like, so that's the thing is option.
1: that he would be expensive and we already have a back line that is... One of the most expensive in the world. Like you talk about Man City's backline, and that's just on another level together. But our backline, we have eighty million Lucas Hernandez, forty million Diatimovcano, thirty-five million Benjamin Pavard, and our cheapest is Fonzi at thirty million. So it's it's not a cheap backline, and then adding another twenty-five million just to be you know rounding out the what should i say the rounding out the bench that doesn't make much sense to me the other option i see is that first of all i should say that the chelsea center backs rudiger and um christensen i don't like them either i don't think rudiger is good enough for buying i think he was looking good for a little while under thomas tuchel but tuchel tactics we cannot take that at face value and i don't think he's ever ever looked particularly solid for Germany and that is one of the things that I always look for in the Bayern player whether they can really perform for Germany I mean we saw with Sané I mean he at at first he did never really perform well for Germany and there was an adjustment period for Bayern and with Rudiger I think we would see the same thing and Rudiger is not particularly young either whereas for Christensen Christensen I'll say something and you follow the Premier League more closely than I do, so you can probably correct me on this, but I've always felt that Christensen never lived up to the potential that he showed when he was at Gladbach after he moved to Chelsea. He was always in and out of the squad. Sometimes he was playing okay, sometimes he was playing well, but he was never the guy, you know? he was never There was never a period of time where he was the rock in the defense, and I don't think that will change at Bayern Munich, and if he can't do it at Chelsea... What, how will he ever pull it off when he comes here?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I have to agree with your point, especially the fact that he was never really the main guy. The opportunities that he got really always came on the back end of somebody else being unavailable or suspended, or uh, in seasons when Chelsea have been pushing on all fronts. Obviously, unlike Germany, England has two domestic cup competitions. So there's a lot of seasons where Chelsea are, are pushing for Premier League, FA Cup, uh, Carabao Cup, or the League Cup, and the Champions League. So, uh, As I said, a lot of the times when he gets in the fold, it's as a result of rotations, somebody being suspended or injured long-term or uh, not being available. Not to say that that's not uh, a way that a lot of guys who wind up being bonafide starters in clubs get get discovered, but I would have to agree with you. And just simply on face value, someone who watches a lot of the Premier League, I've seen a a fair amount of Christensen uh, (laughs) both at the... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Both against Liverpool playing very well and and playing very poorly, but just even simply put as someone who watches a lot of Prem, and Bayern, I think Nicolas Zula is a better defender and a better defender for Bayern. So I don't quite think that uh, I have to agree. I would have to agree with you. I don't quite think that uh, would fit. Um, very and well there's Bayern. also
1: the fact that he has these very high wage demands that Chelsea, they must know something that we don't or. They know what we do. And that's the fact that he is not worth the amount of money that he's asking for. And that's kind of when the club that he's at doesn't think he's worth hanging on to. That's something that you should be wary of. Whereas with Alaba, you knew that we were pretty much pulling out all the stops to keep him. And we were trying to get him to stay on with as much money as possible. And our final offer was something ridiculous, like 19 million euros that he turned down to go to Madrid. And that's fine. At that point, Madrid, they can be happy that they're getting a quality guy. Whereas with Christensen, I don't know what we're getting. And I don't think we can afford to find out. So I don't like it in, in, the, in that sense. I would prefer, you know, buy and call back Chris Richards from loan, and, you know, make him maybe the third or fourth center back. And the other option that we can do alongside this Chris Richards option is the fact that we can just buy a new right back a proper good actual decent right back and uh move benjamin Pavard to center back
0: yeah i was gonna say because we totally don't already have a right back who's your who's your favorite player of all time yeah and i should i should add that while the u.s men's national team was pretty crap today i thought richards played quite well as he did on thursday night against el salvador it's unfortunate that he got a uh an ankle injury i really hope that oh he got injured out. yeah so it was one of those ones he was being pressured when he was about to pass the ball out of the back and uh, someone's leg came in and just at the, at the wrong moment. So he was in full swing and his leg, uh, you know, when it was, uh, he had his, why, why am I struggling? Like you open up your foot to hit with the side of your foot. And so his ankle just looked like, like it really rolled the wrong way. Uh, when, when someone made contact, cause he basically hit the guy's leg instead of the ball. Um, and Bearhalter after the match was saying, he's not sure if it's broken or not. So fingers crossed for, for Richards. He's in such a good run of form for Hoffenheim and uh, yeah. likewise for the U.S. men's national team. So that'd be a huge blow. I really, really hope it's not broken and that yeah. he's able to yeah. get back to Hoffenheim and not miss too much time. But Ian, I just want to get your quick thoughts too, because I was I was someone that was in the camp. You know, we talk about how Christensen's never been the main guy for Chelsea, yet his wage demands are super, super high. Uh, probably a fee that Byron really don't ever want to succumb to. But we talk about the fact that someone who's going to be replacing Nick Lazula is not necessarily going to be a starter, and they're only going to start a certain percent. Uh, percentage excuse me of matches so i know it, it's since come out that he is not really considering Bayern as an option and uh, i believe it was manuel veth had replied to one of our tweets saying that he believes inter milan is going to be uh this guy's destination think, but think that, of course that I'm actually, talking that, about, i
1: that's about ginter yeah
0: yeah i was gonna say i was yeah, yeah. <laughs> building up all of the uh, credentials and I'm oh say. Yeah, yeah matthias ginter who i think is actually uh quite a sound defender for what it would be worth now i'm not sure exactly what I the fees is. involved would have been but or what his wages would be, but like Zakaria, pretty free. much said he was def. Well, yeah, he was definitely going to leave Gladbach on a free, um, just like Zakaria. But I don't know what his uh, the, his wage would be. The thing Ginter is
1: that we have seen a lot of him on the German national team, and the problem is that he doesn't attack at all, ever.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, like, I guess you could say. We well, yeah. Like, compare like... compare Ginter to a. Uh, quote-unquote Zulino doing the uh, <laughs> Zidane roulette just outside I mean, of the 18. I mean, Maybe not even, a player like that. I mean, even if you compare him to anyone else, like,
1: it does bind have anyone, any player who's just a specialist defender. Even Lucas Hernandez, who is like a defender defender. He goes up the pitch, he attacks, he tries to get involved and... Ginter just doesn't do any of that. He's always sideways passing, safe passes, everything like that. And I can say that Ginter is very reliable, but as a replacement, Basul, it doesn't make any sense because in the end, all you will be doing is like occasionally uh, running on um, like occasionally doing something defensive and then passing the ball to Upamecano and who will have to do everything about starting the attack. Because in the end, the Bayern defender is only spending maybe a fraction of his time defending and 90% of the other time building up the play, um, you know, passing the ball forward, trying to get things going. And those aspects, I think Ginter is severely lacking and it doesn't make any sense to get him. Like at that point, why not just put Pavard or someone in the middle and Bovard is actually way more offensive than Ginter in my opinion. So that's yeah. basically my opinion on Ginter. I, I don't know if you share it or not.
0: I do. I do. Um, the one issue I'd have is, you know, you do talk about it. It's like, then who is our most, you know, defensively defensive defender <laughs> at the risk of sounding redundant, Probably. you know, because I think we've seen uh dial has his shortcomings in one V one situations. Oh boy. Um, but it could even be Lucas Hernandez. You could say he's just that good. On I said, I said, Lucas ball.
1: Hernandez, like, technically, the only player on our team that only defends is probably Neuer. And yeah. that's probably, that's, and even that well, is a bit outlandish for him because, yeah. I mean, he's a goalkeeper. But the thing is that uh, I, I think the reason that we're having this conversation right now, and it's like such a big conversation, is because uh, Ubu Meccano doesn't seem like he's ready to be the leader of the defense so we need someone next to Hernandez that can be solid as as solid as Sewell has been in the past like you talked about the Champions League final earlier in the Pod. and the thing is that Sula came on cold in that final after pretty much a year of not playing and he played really well against Mbappe and Neymar and it was actually Alaba next to him who was making all the mistakes but Sula played so well and I don't think you'll ever get that from Upamecano for at least another two three years like I'm not saying this to malign Upamecano I get that he's very young and being young makes defenders not as good like defending is very much an art that is based on how should i say it? it's based on experience so before before you turn 30 you're not going to be a great defender so the thing is that with uber meccano he's so young and that inexper- inexperience really shows at times so it's not like he's going to be ready to step into stool shoes as soon as zoo leaves and that is why we really do need to th- be thinking about some kind of replacement Replacements aren't really forthcoming, and I don't know how to keep talking about this because, like, we can say so many things. We we could do this, we could get this guy, but in the end, it is all up to bind And I think knowing mine it might just surprise us and get someone that we don't expect.
0: That would not surprise me, and then, and it would of course also be another excuse just to use that picture of Brazo in the ninja getup with that sword. Yeah, sword I don't even know where it's from, but any opportunity, I get to use that on our twitter account i, I fire it away <laughs> without even without yeah, you even in, second guess you
1: and half of buying football twitter so
0: yeah so. <laughs> it's it's an opportunity that's just like too good to pass up because that photo is legendary and if you guys don't know it i'm sure you could google it or even find it somewhere on our twitter feed i'm sure I've everyone knows about time.
1: it by this point so the, <laughs> there is another topic that we had to talk about which is the fact it's, it's yes. also not a good it's not a good topic to talk about, which is the fact that Leon Goretzka, he's had another setback in his recovery from this patellar tendon injury. And I'll just explain this injury a little bit for people who don't understand. So the patellar tendon, uh, it is the tendon you feel, you can feel it on your knee. It uh, holds your kneecap. It holds the bottom of a kneecap, it attaches to the tapia, which is like your shin bone, it attaches to the top of that. And if it's hurt, you will feel that when you're running. Like that tendon, it is always always in use while running, just like any other. And you will feel that. And it is a very tricky one to heal. Like the doctors, I think they prescribed um, a conservative management regime, which just included drug therapy and rehab. And I think that was pretty much what was required. But it seems that like he has not responded well to that and he still has pain in his knee, which is not unexpected, to be honest with you. Like, I think the initial three week recovery plan was very ambitious. And this um, new setback is not actually a surprise to me. I always thought that uh, Goretzka will probably be out for at least a couple more months. But the thing is that is worrying is that Goretzka is becoming increasingly injury-prone. And in the midst of that, we have Quarantan Taliso, his contract is expiring. We sold Cuissons, which is actually a good thing. And we have lost out on Denis Zakaria, who has gone to Juventus. And I don't know how you went to pull that off so suddenly in the winter window, but they have pulled that off. And now it looks like we have to start a search for a new midfielder because Sabitzer, he has not worked out yet. And even if he did work out, we would still need someone else because we need the depth. And the depth is really going away right now.
0: Yeah. And it's just to kind of circle back a little bit, We I, I wonder how much of this had to do with, and especially having watched the Amazon doc when. I believe in one of the episodes where I don't know if it's before the first leg or the second leg against PSG in the Champions League, uh, Goretzka is training individually with Bayern's physios and uh, Holger Broich They're trying to see how much of a load he can manage to see if he'll be ready to go. And he seems like he's really trying to push through the pain barrier and they ultimately say he can't go. Much to his chagrin, like he doesn't look very happy with the decision while he is understanding. And, you know, we go back to Derek Klassiker uh, from the Hinrund, uh, the 3-2 win uh, that we had at the Westfalenstadion. And in case you don't remember, so he was dealing with that same injury back then, like yeah. this, this is something he's been dealing with for a while. And he basically clocked 60 minutes playing through pain. And, you know, he, he had a, he had a relatively decent game, but I wonder how much of that was just too much calculated risk and how much that might've affected things. Because since then, and he just has not been right. And he has not been able to get back to full fitness ever since that game. And I wonder if that was just, you know, in hindsight, the table might be three points closer had he not played in that game. Not to it say be he would six have been a factor so different maker, her. but uh, yeah, true. Yeah, that would be. So, I mean, not to say it wasn't the right decision to play him. And obviously, Byron's physios uh, and team doctors and Julian Nagelsmann are much much smarter than I in that respect. But it just seems like that was the the starting point of a, a very bad whirlwind of well, in- him not getting back to full fitness. Well, the thing is that, and I discussed
1: this with Schnitzel in one of the earlier podcasts that we had, I think one of our last podcasts from last year, but the thing is that all of this last uh, half season or so, have you ever felt that Leon Goretzka was ever playing at his full potential? Because I feel like he's been carrying some sort of knock or the other for the last six, seven months at the very least, like he's been playing at 60, 70%. Never at hundred percent, and he's not been at hundred percent for a very long time. Like this guy seems like someone who will pain play through a pain barrier no matter what, and I think that's really starting to catch up to him all at once. And this patella tendon injury, like I'll tell you something about how the body works. Like when the knee is. Like when something is wrong with the knee, it could be a sign of either problems elsewhere, or it could be a cause of other problems elsewhere. Like a knee injury really messes you up. Yeah. And the thing is that the way that Leon's treatment has gone, it suggests that Bynes doctors aren't exactly sure how else to approach this. And as far as i can tell they've done everything correctly like it's pretty much what he would do and i know that people in the comments have suggested that he should have gotten the surgery but in this case i don't even know what a surgery would fix like it's not a tendon tear it's not anything like that at best it probably is a sprain and it's causing him pain so there probably is something more insidious going on here that will be much harder to fix and much more time consuming to fix and there's no quick fix like surgery and there's no exact recovery timeline. It could be that he goes another three weeks in a new he rehab plan, and then he has another setback, and then this continues and continues because it's not ex- it's not a super exact science. Like you need to take so many factors into account. It's not an easy thing for the medical team to decide. And even if he comes back, he, he will have missed about what three four months of football. By that yep. point, it's looking almost as good as an ACL tier in terms of how much game time he's missed. So he can come back and it'll take him a while. Like he has not been training much at all, just light running. So it'll take him a very long time to get back to his full fitness. So that's one of the things. And I believe that for part of what we saw in the Dortmund game and part of what we saw in the Hinwinder Goretzka was really pushing himself, not just because of the team. Like this is a little bit cynical of me, but Goretzka pushed himself because he was playing for that new contract.
0: Yeah. It very well could have been. And it also probably doesn't necessarily help that at the time it seems like we've had at least like two relatively bad COVID outbreaks, or just you know, I believe that what well, that wasn't was, the that was the anti-vaxxer right
1: the, thing. Yeah. Though. Um
0: so yeah. that was that was the situation after the international. Yeah, break, no chimic no
1: chimic, no chimic and um no museal, yeah. no ganabri. So and yeah, because of, you can uh, the, see the why Goretzka felt yeah. yeah, yeah, you can see why Goretzka really felt the need to be out there and just help the team because back then it, Dortmund looked like the German title challengers back then. Um, I'm not sure if they still do. Uh, they are six points behind us and I assume that if Gretzka had not played that and maybe if we had lost, I mean it was a pretty controversial game if you remember like we just yeah. barely won and so yeah. who knows partially maybe thanks to uh,
0: Felix Fire, yeah. yeah, Felix Weyer. Yeah, Dortmund fans would definitely
1: say that. Yeah, it. Dortmund fans, Jude Bellingham would definitely say that but the thing <laughs> is that um, maybe Goretzka made the right call, but in my opinion, I would trade the three points any day for a fit Goretzka in the later stages of the championship. because in oh, my opinion, course. like Dortmund, yeah, Dortmund will drop points at some point, they will definitely drop points, and I think we, over the course of an entire season, we will outlast them, but Goretzka, he is our guy, like he his partnership with Kimmich is unmatched and if we don't have him, like I know that Tolisso, like this is probably our next topic, which is that Taliso, we should he get a new contract, but Taliso, he has been performing well in the last few games, but he's not reliable. Like Any moment now, he could get a new injury and he'll be out just like Goretzka. And um, I'm in favor of maybe giving the guy a new contract as long as it's not anything exorbitant. But like, if Taliso, if he can't perform, that doesn't change the fact that we have no one else to partner with Kimmich in midfield. And Sabitzer, um, I've had this conversation with Schnitzel, who is a Schabitzer fan, but Schabitzer, he is not, he's not working out at the moment. And in the long term, he may well, but in the short term, three to four months, I don't know what we're going to do without Goretzka.
0: Yeah, and you bring up such interesting points because, you know, especially with Taliso, it's one thing to have two great performances on the bounce against F. Sakun and Hertha Berlin, both of whom we routed quite dominantly. But it is another thing to be doing that in the later stages of the Champions League or be doing that for four to five weeks in a row, especially now, what might be expected of him with Goretzka's absence. And, you know, you also think of a guy like Mark Rocca, who was building up a good run of form um, before he was supplanted in the starting line by by Taliso. So I wonder if he'll see some more minutes too, but it's just this whole Goretzka situation, you don't want to be sitting here having to ask all of these questions because as you mentioned, the huge thing is uh, consistency and liability, even as yeah, Bayern fans. Yeah. it's Taliso played great uh, in Berlin and uh, against FC Kulun, but we're still you know, for players or for fans of other teams, if their player performed like that, they would completely be behind it, but we kind of know better. This guy has injury yeah. history. He, he doesn't have the most uh, the greatest track record when it comes to consistent solid performances. It's just kind of one of those things like uh, that the trouble winning season or no, sorry. Um, I keep getting the seasons mixed up because of COVID and truncated schedules, but you know when he scored the banger against Atletico madrid yeah that was uh, in the, uh, the second
1: League. Hansi Flick
0: season yeah that was yes, yes. Uh,
1: yeah you. he he, <laughs> he had a great game against them like dido has these weird occasional games where he's just amazing even in the Champions he uh, trouble from uh,
0: 2017 yeah. 18 yeah just like th- those yeah, performances just, you, come yeah, out of that, nowhere, PSG, that like,
1: PSG performance yeah, was it. so random because you just send out a random or extremely random squad that no one thought would win and he just got the win so easily so um so Taliso, I think that Tolisso, as a talent, as just sheer raw talent, he's better than Goretzka. And I think a lot of people will agree with that. But Goretzka has had consistency and Goretzka has been able to build on his performances since joining Bayern Munich, whereas Taliso had that ACL tier.
0: And yeah, yeah he's it's gonna just, say he's the just irony. completely... He came back from uh, ACL tier but. Tear that one of the things out for a long time and this yeah. is a patellar tendon that's just seen it almost like you were saying you don't ever want to wish this upon someone but it almost seems as if you know we had uh zula to lee so the cruciate ligament tears even Lewandowski and and knee injuries it just seems like if it's yes. anything but the patellar there's a recovery time but for this the like thing you, isn't with knee injuries something else that's going on too.
1: so how it works with knee injuries i don't know if you noticed tom but the thing is, how it works is you have like, uh, how should I say it? If you have a problem with one knee, your body, the entire body, it has to compensate. Like it will do that without you even knowing. And once it starts doing that, it's very hard to compensate it back. 80% of therapy after an ACL tear is just making sure that your body isn't overcompensating for the knee that you feel is slightly weak you do it subconsciously. And because of that, whether you're feeling a little bit of pain, or even if it's not there, you just imagine it because of that, you can put some more strain on your other leg or your, or your hips or your pelvis or your other muscles or whatever. And that causes like a myriad of problems everywhere else. That's why I say that knee injuries are like really, really messy. Like they can get um they can really screw you up in very weird ways that you can't even think about like you can end up with injuries to your back to your muscles to your uh, thighs to your hamstrings to pretty much anything just because of the underlying issue that was a knee injury that wasn't properly recovered from so that's why I'm very worried about Goretzka like um you think about Lewandowski he came back from his knee injury and Kimmich also came back and they are uh, like and i think in general bion has a pretty good record with rehabbing players from their knee injuries but you look at Toleso in comparison like after his acl tier his injury record has just been a mess and that's because his body has just um like it's feeling the aftershocks and acl tears do leave aftershocks and any kind of knee injury has the potential to do the same because it's just a little bit of pain in your knee it can mess up every, everything else in your life and for a professional athlete who is always running around always putting strain on their bodies it can it can be very devastating so we are almost out of time today but like at this rate we need to we need to address the one thing if we cannot get uh if we cannot find an internal solution to the Goretzka dilemma do, do you think we need to go back into the transfer window and buy someone
0: i mean it's such a we're sitting here talking about this injury uh, track record for Goretzka and I think you had brought it up earlier like in the Dortmund match was he like you know knowing that a contract was close to being signed was he uh, uh, you know more apt to playing through pain because of that so now we have a player we've just tied down to a new deal and he's not very expensive a hell of a lot of football lately yeah exactly so it's a very interesting dynamic so if you're Oliver Kahn sitting down with uh, Salih Hamidich and uh, Julian Nagelsmann, I think you have to have that tough conversation and say, hey, you know, with the financial situation of this, we just tied down Kimmich, Kloman, uh, Goretzka, Neuer, Lewandowski, Müller, and Gnabry are soon to follow suit. So I don't know if like that is even going to be a, a possibility of a conversation. I mean, you, you'd want to say that it is. And there's so many times when clubs are going to buy a player, they have paperwork all drawn up. This literally happened with uh, Nabil Fakir a few seasons ago with Liverpool. I remember, you know, his press release was done. Uh, all of his photos were done. And then uh, I believe he was transferring from Olympic Lyon at the time, wound up joining like Real Betis or something. Um, they, they saw something in, in the charts with the, the from the medical they had done with the knee. And they said, hey, you know, is there something? I mean, can we wiggle down a little bit here? Because we see something in a scan with the knee. We know he has a bit of a track record uh, and then Leon pulled back and they said, Oh, nope, we're out of the deal. Deal is off. So these things do happen. I mean, obviously, for Goretzka's situation, if we were considering selling him or just bringing somebody else in, it, it would be a little bit different than if we're buying someone looking at their injury history. But, you know, that's the question that you'd have to ask. If we're not letting Goretzka go in that situation, how much money would we have to spend? And realistically, yeah, because- what type of caliber of a central midfielder could we get? Uh, with, yeah, because there's not funds.
1: many options on the market at the moment. Like, yeah, I like can't see anyone through
0: yeah. this, these these uh, contracts. Is like you know Bayern Munich. Yeah, because and, everyone wants Recona to be like, everyone wants to
1: pay paid like sunny wages. Like Gnabry wants to be paid as much as Sane and Koman and then Muller needs a raise, and he's already one of the highest paid players on the team lewandowski needs a contract extension he'll want a raise if it's only a one-year contract then he'll definitely want a raise Manuel lawyer another extension another raise so everyone wants raises and at that point and if the top owners want raises and then what the hell are we going to do with everyone else like what do we do when lucas's contract is up for extension that probably is going to be and even some of these so, guys like yeah. took
0: uh Not willingly, but because of COVID, they're getting less money than they would have if COVID wasn't a thing.
1: Yeah, so that's one of those things. And you look at the Premier League. The Premier League is just going uh, without any issues whatsoever. They have full stadiums, and now they are starting to flex their financial muscle. Everyone is spending over there so it it, like these players now that they've also a lot of these guys have already won everything there is to win at Bayern Munich that treble win uh somehow it actually ended up working against us because a lot of the players decided okay I've checked all the boxes now I can leave and um I think that's what happened with Thiago actually he just decided okay I've done everything okay time to go but the thing with that the thing how it ends up being is that these guys, then they just decide, okay, I've had my time with Bayern. Now it's time to go and chase some money in the Premier League or chase some glory or chase new horizons. And that's the most um, difficult thing for us to deal with at the moment.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's not going to be easy. Um, I I don't want to say there's things that that can't be done differently, but especially having been someone I, I did, this is probably the most I've written about Oliver Kahn and things that he's had to say about squad planning and contracts and whatnot. Uh, ever since he's become CEO. Um, he has that difficult job. So we'll have to see what happens with that. And you know, with that, I think we covered quite a bit in, especially uh, in a period where there was no Bayern football for at least a week. But exactly. we do have a weekend coming uh, next weekend. So thankfully, the pain we feel this weekend of no Bayern football will be uh, immediately remedied by a very, very big clash uh, coming up next weekend against RB Leipzig. Um So with with that said, and unless you had anything to add, I think this is a good place to wrap it up. If you have any last words, uh, I would go ahead and shout them out now.
1: No, I don't have anything else to say.
0: All right. Well, everyone, again, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, whatever other... I can't even... I'm just drawing a blank right now. I know there's other stuff out there. Definitely leave a review for us, comments, let us know, suggestions, what can we do better, what do we do too much of, et cetera, et cetera. And until next time, which I'm sure will be a preview of next weekend's clash against RB Leipzig, Auf Wiedersehen.